Facebook, somebody has written in saying, I want to know how to start teaching executive functioning skills when I sit down at home to do homework with a second grader. Mm -hmm. Executive function skills, how do we start that? Well, um, that's, okay, <laughs> it's difficult to answer this because it's like saying, I really want to start teaching social skills. Yeah. So uh, the best, you know, thank God that we have skills. Um, so what I would do um, if I was this family is I would, uh, I would uh, become a member of skills and I would, um, go into the executive functioning assessment, answer all of those questions. Um, second grader would probably be perfect because uh, their age might be somewhere around seven or eight. Mm -hmm. So that's terrific. You'll end up answering quite a lot of questions. Um, and then after you've done that, the system will, and the questions are about what the child can and cannot do. Can, can your child do this? Can your child do that? And so on. And then it'll take you to um, the, the curriculum and then it'll give you the entire array of skills that your child needs to learn in the area of executive functioning and they will be um, listed as lessons with videotapes and it'll kind of show you exactly how you which one comes first what prerequisites perhaps from other areas like language or something you still need to work on before you can teach these um, if they're age appropriate, all that sort of stuff. So I really, it's it's too broad a subject, and there are too many areas in executive functioning skills. So I really would suggest you do it this way. This is the best way to do it. And it's a great curriculum. It's I, I personally have learned things from my life from the executive functions curriculum, and this brings up for me the first time the first time that I ever met you, Dr. Grampache. Mm. Uh, it was an amazing day, and you were unveiling skills. Right. My child had been uh, getting therapy for, uh, from the Center for, for Autism and Related Disorders for years, but I'd been invited to see skills unveiled, right. and, and I was so thrilled because I got to meet you. And at one point you were describing for me that there used to be this big piece of yellow paper <laughs> that yeah. you guys would put on the wall of a room and it would go almost all the way around the room that would list all of the skills right. that a child would start to develop by the time they reached age eight. Well, we <clears> did this, the development of skills was ridiculous. I mean, it was like, a, I think when we added it all up, it was like over the course of 16 years that we made skills. But yeah, the paper you're talking about was actually what... I guess lessons, or we used to begin in, in the old, old days, we used to call them drills. And they were all listed on, we'd, we had put them um, on this paper in order to put them in order of what relates to what. Mm -hmm. And like, for instance, can I teach conversational speech if I don't have this, you know, I need these areas of language first mm -hmm. and how they relate to each other. And like, actually, should I be teaching conversational speech if my child doesn't have eye contact yet and all these types of things. And it was amazing. I well, mean, and, and I would imagine overwhelming. As you were, just, you were describing this to me, I thought, what an amazing piece of paper, and that I'd love to have access have to it. it. <laughs> but I would, I, as a parent, I immediately felt overwhelmed, like I wouldn't know where to start. I'd feel like I needed to start on the, on the far left with number one, right. when in actuality, and what you described to me was, you said, for different child, they mean to, may need to start on 394 to be effective. Right. And another child may need to start on 22 to be effective. Right, right. And 
and and that skills was going to be able to give the power of figuring that out to a parent and right. i still get chills thinking about how powerful that right. is right that is it is it that's uh, thank you because you br we did so much work on skills that i didn't think of it in pieces like that mm -hmm. but you know the the assessment portion is powerful it really does help um, identify everything that a child needs and uh, it, across all domains not yes. just executive functioning i mean and we put so much as you know i mean we put several million dollars of resources into staff who worked on this project for over 15 years so um but the the, the key to it is I don't think anything like this actually exists where you will, you know, just by um, going through, first of all, we listed everything, then we listed uh, lessons that correspond to it, then we went back and age modified. So we said by, by corresponding it to tests, to standardized tests, and we validated skills and we said, okay, so basically if you are two you shouldn't even be doing this if you're four you won't have developed this skill if you're eight you should be doing all of these things you know and so then we correlated all of the age norms to it and moved the questions around so that the parents when you put when you get become a member of skills you don't put you put your child's age and so you don't get questions that are not relevant to your child you only get what your child should be doing and then um, we went ahead and like sh linked it to to lessons in the curriculum we made sure every lesson in the curriculum had prerequisites listed all of the, um, the majority of the lessons now have video clips we put IEP objectives on them we um, gave teaching goals I mean I can't even tell you yeah. it was it was a ridiculous endeavor it's exhaustive it is but it, what it boils down to for me as a parent is it gives me the ability to be effective and efficient and empowered right. I, that I that I can now and I know where to start and I feel like and that's one of the reasons why I want to cover this because this parent in a way I feel like they're asking where do I start right how right. do I start right that's the hardest part and and skills empowers you to be able to do that it does it really does and I'm yesterday I was meeting with uh, Eliana who's in charge of skills yes. and I was instructed that I can't talk too much about all the new stuff that's coming because I spent, we had a three hour meeting yesterday where I was reviewing all the new things that we're adding to skills and it, it's incredible stuff coming. I'm a lot so of amazing excited. stuff coming. So, um, but I do recommend for this parent, it would be very good to do that. And so you can go to skillsforautism.com, check that out. There is a free trial period that you can, you can try it out and see and see how it works and feel free to write in with questions because I personally love skills and use it. Um, and, and there, they, skills has its own place where you can call and ask questions, but I, you know, we take questions here as well. And also for, uh, I mean, it's funny, I never really thought about this, but I don't think there is another way that you can do what you want to do for this parent. Like, the only, you can only read books on executive functioning and they're not going to help be able to determine what areas. I mean, executive functioning, we're talking flexibility, inhibition, planning, programming. I mean, there's a lot of different areas yeah. in, in um, executive functioning, joint attention. Um, and you won't even be able to determine which ones your child 
can do and can't do except for using skills. Absolutely. So I really do recommend it. It's well worth it. Amazing, amazing tool. We are going to take a break right now and we'll be back with more of your questions for Dr. Doreen Grampuchet after these messages. Stick with us. Welcome back to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. We have with us in the studio right now Dr. Doreen Grampuchet and she is a true expert in the field of autism. It's such Thank a thrill you, to Sarah. have her here. Uh, she is answering your questions in real time. I've got a question here that just came in on the live feature. Hello, Dr. Doreen. My daughter, seven years old, is screaming suddenly since the last two weeks. Hmm. It's usually right after we say, let's do this or sit for dinner, go change, etc. Even with simple requests, like while sitting doing work, she will scream if we ask write cap while she is drawing, for example. <laughs> How can we work with the screaming? This is new for us. Please help us here. Thank you. Right. So, that's a great example. In fact, I might use that example for teaching. Um, all Every single example that uh, this parent wrote, uh, that you just read, Shannon, uh, was uh, a demand or was a request. No matter what it was, how easy it seems to us, mm -hmm. but every single example showed that um, your daughter screams when you ask her to do something. All of the examples were those. Um, so that is a very, very clear uh, situation that she is objecting. In other words, the function of her screaming is to try to avoid doing what it is anything. She just doesn't want to comply with the, the demands that you're making or the requests that you're making. So what you do is you simply ignore the screaming and you physically prompt her to actually do the things that you were asking her to do. Um, give me, could you read some of the examples again? What they yes, were? let's go through some of the examples. So uh, it's when they request saying right after we say, let's do this, sit for dinner, go right, change. So Sit for dinner, she screams, ignore it as if it didn't happen, go ahead and help her come and sit down. Mm -hmm. Go change, she screams, ignore it as if it didn't happen, go just take her and change her clothes. Any, any of those things. In other words, the message that you're giving back to her is screaming won't make a difference. Okay. And be ready for this, like, so you might want to put some earplugs in because yeah. before it gets, it goes away, it will go up, it'll increase. So that's called an extinction burst. What happens is from, you know, from in her thinking, whenever in the past she screamed, you would probably back off, right? So she'd scream and you'd be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't force her right now and then I'll ask her again in five minutes. So it was effective for her to get away. She would, her screaming had become an effective form of communication. She would scream, you'd leave her alone. Um, now you're not, she's screaming, you're not going to leave her alone. You're going to actually physically prompt her to do the thing you asked her to do. And so from her perspective, it's going to be like, wait a minute, why aren't they responding to my screaming? I think I'll scream a little bit longer, a little bit louder, that sort of thing. So be ready for the behavior of yeah. screaming to increase initially. But then if you stick with it, within a few days, it'll just completely go away. Yeah. It, uh, from a parent's perspective, it really is getting yourself in the mindset of, okay, I'm going to go through a couple of really bad days. Correct. But the mantra that I used to have in my head was, this is the beginning of the end of this. That's I right. just have to get through this. I got to hold tight and clear your schedule. That This is not, right. not the time to be expecting the important phone call for the right. job 
interview during when this, but if you if you hold your ground, <laughs> it 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 will it will go away. But it's a tough time. It is a tough time, and you also need to. I mean, one way to make it faster is to give her an alternative, more appropriate way to communicate what she's trying to communicate. So. She's trying to say no. Essentially, yeah. I don't want to do this. Yeah. So um, you know, you could give her, uh, like, prompt her or teach her to say, "I need five more minutes." Yeah. But I wouldn't do it right now. I would first start to extinguish or the behavior of screaming. So I would first just ignore it and physically prompt her through the thing she's supposed to do. Um, when she's gotten a little bit better with that, so like maybe in a week. Then I would start to give her the ability to ask for time. So, um, can I do it in five minutes? Yeah. Which is really something that other kids do. Yeah. I mean, how often do you ask a kid, you know, go do something and they do it immediately? Yeah. Well, great advice, and we're sending you air hugs through. through I know, the, yes. Because <laughs> yes, you'll have are. a couple of rough days. You're already having a couple of rough days. And, and if you but. have a behaviorist uh, working with you, if you know one, this is a pretty easy it's a very basic procedure for behaviorists and i really do recommend it as shannon said it'll it, it's just it's it'll help your sanity if you're not yeah. involved with it absolutely okay we've got another question coming in from facebook how do i get my son to be less physically aggressive with me he's okay with others for the most part but tends to be quite aggressive during learning time any ideas yeah, I mean, a lot of ideas, but I don't know that, depending on how big he is, I'm mm -hmm. not sure, and how big you are, and, and how exactly what you mean when you say aggressive. Um, there's no question there's a lot you can do there. You know, as I, I'll go back and the previous behavior was screaming, this behavior is aggression. I've often said that kids with autism don't have, having challenging behaviors like aggression or or screaming or these things are not part of autism they're just uh, a form of communication the child is trying to communicate and say uh, you know I don't want to do this or uh, leave me alone or those types of things and it's always the same intervention which is you ignore the behavior that's challenging and you help the child communicate in a different way that's more adaptive which is pretty much what I just how I answered the previous yeah. question but when it becomes something that's aggression uh, you, it's, you can't ignore aggression so it's hard to ignore it so you have to block it and depending on how big he is and how big you are and how far the aggression has gone blocking it might exacerbate it so it's hard for me to answer this question without knowing a lot more about what's going on I really do um, you know, there's a there's another thing we have online called the BIP Builder or BIP Builder, mm -hmm. um, which is right now part of Skills, and I'm actually trying to split it off and separate it so that people can access it separately. But uh, if you look at that, the way that that works is it asks you a lot of questions uh, about, for instance, the aggression. It'll ask you when it happens, what type of behaviors are there, like is it hitting, biting, pushing, what kicking, you know, all of these are considered aggression. Um, in all the scenarios that it happens, all this sort of stuff, how do you normally consequate it? And it asks you, those are the things we need to know as behaviors. And if you, when you answer those questions, it will, the system will tell you 
why the aggression is happening as well as exactly what to do, how to handle the aggression and how you should change the scenario so that the aggression goes down. So that might be a way to go about doing this. Otherwise, um, if you, you know, and it does sound like you need help, uh, what I, any behaviorist would do for you right now is what the bit builder does. It, 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 they're determining the function of the behavior. They're doing what's called a functional behavior analysis or assessment. And that will help you um, sort of identify why the child is doing this and how to treat it. Uh, don't try to just punish behaviors. Don't try to just, you know, ignore them because behaviors are very they're really meaningful. Our kids do these behaviors because they're trying to communicate something and um, it's really important to identify what it is they're trying to communicate and then that gives you the key to how to stop that challenging behavior. Yeah, a really important advice. We're going to take another break. We're going to come back with more questions. Keep them coming. You guys are writing in overwhelmingly. We love it. Uh, we're going to get through as many of them as we possibly can. Stick with us. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grampache is here with us and we're answering as many questions as we can in a short period of time. I want to go to this next one. Uh, Dr. Doreen, my son is nine and has ASD. In school, he is disengaged a lot lately, not listening to the teacher or paying attention to instruction. He tries to participate, but when he gets called on, he doesn't know the answer, primarily because he's video talking and disengaged from the lesson. What can we do in class that might help him pay attention? He does have a full-time aid, ABA aid at school. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, that's one that I, would, I could take the next hour and answer that. First of all, if he's um, disengaged, that tells me that he's lacking the skill to pay attention to the salient fa th stimulus, which is the teacher. So I, you know, if he was one of my kids, I'd want to go back a little bit and see what other prerequisite skills I would teach in order for him to learn to pay attention better. Um, paying attention is complicated. It's not just about uh, you know, you can shape up the behavior of him looking at the teacher, for instance. You can also shape up the behavior of not doing video talk, but that still doesn't mean that he would be comprehending what the teacher is saying. So um, all of those different things have to be taught separately. It's like pay attention to someone, first of all, who's close to you, then further, then further. Um, increase the duration of time that he's not doing uh, video talk, start with one minute and increase it to 10-15 minute segments. But then, re you know, listening comprehension would be something that he'd have to be taught separately as well. Um, right now, so I would really, it's, you know, go back and teach some of these more important pre prerequisite skills. For now, where you are, I would make sure he's in the front uh, row. I would ask the teacher to um, get his attention every five or ten minutes um, by calling out his name or just tapping on his table or whatever is um, not so obvious, I guess, the least obvious prompt. Um, there are watches that ha are called watch minders. They vibrate on a schedule, so every five minutes or whatever, and you look down and it says, look at the teacher. Mm -hmm. I mean, it literally has the thing on there. It writes out what you're supposed to do. Um, as I said, uh, you could put different stickers and so on on the blackboard, on the board, whiteboard mm -hmm. nowadays, and look at it mm -hmm. so that he's uh, trained to look at it. If he has an aid, 
there's a billion things the aide can do um, by simply just sitting behind him to begin with and getting him to pay attention. And the most important thing to me, it sounds like, is, is listening comprehension right yeah. now. So you'd start with very small sentences at home, practicing him, making sure he understands. Uh, sentences similar to what the teacher would say, you yeah. know, let's get out our books, let's go to page four, whatever. I don't know what, what uh, class he's in or what types of instructions, <coughs> but you know, those are some basic ideas right now. Yeah. Uh, lots of different things to choose from, but you know, depending <coughs> upon the individual child. All right. And uh, it's, it's just too hard because you, at the point when you're in class already, you should be able to pay attention. So. Yeah. It's always really hard to get to, to this point and then try to do intervention in the classroom because now you're kind of disrupting the classroom, the teacher's going to be upset with you, all this sort of other stuff. So it's, it's better to have done some of these things ahead of time or to, to practice these things in a different environment and then generalize them to school. What's interesting to helps. me is that she says uh, that it's just uh, lately, that, he, that it's happening a lot lately. So there's a part of That's me that wonders, yeah. or wonders if, you know, there, it's just not really enforcing enough for him to pay attention. That's of course very true. Often our kids start to really um, kind of tune out when it's boring, when the teacher is not rewarding enough. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe where he's sitting is uh, distracting, is he near a window, is he under a light, I, something like that. Yeah, so if it's something that's brand new, look at other circumstances that may have changed. Okay. All right. We have another question. Uh, somebody wants to know what are ways I can increase the motivation of a seven-year-old who only wants to play Wii and iPad? And this is just at seven. I hear this continues. <laughs> Oh, yeah, <laughs> that once uh, once once they get those in their hands, they kind of only want to do that. Yeah, and this is it's that's not so bad. I mean, you're actually really really lucky that your child likes we because we is so. First of all, let me just say that the the question is you know it's a question that's hard for a behaviorist because we all have different reinforcers, right? Mm -hmm. And so our motivations are tied to those reinforcers. This, this is just the way it is. You can spend a lot of time and pra you can set up a token economy or a token system where the, the end reinforcer is the Wii or the iPad, but in the meantime, your child accumulates things like um, tokens or coins or smiley faces which then have to be up to a certain number before they get the Wii. Um, ultimately you're just you're remain you keeping the power of the Wii or the iPad but you're making it contingent on many more steps many more it's just like money right mm -hmm. money on its own is is not really a reinforcer because it's a piece of paper right but it is a reinforcer because it, with money we can purchase the things we want. So that's the same thing, you know, put your child on a system where they accumulate coins and then the coins they can trade in for the Wii now, or the iPad. What I want to say is guaranteed in like let's say maybe two or three more years, you know, there's going to be very little that doesn't involve technology and right now um, the Wii is a, actually a fabulous reinforcer because they have built so many different things on the Wii uh, that so your child is not really just sitting in front of a computer they're dancing they're playing tennis they're doing yoga they're doing boxing they're doing a billion things um, and it's awesome and yes. so it's actually a pretty good tool to 
use for social skills as well. So, you know, you can put other contingencies. Yes, you can play with the Wii, but you have to play with someone else, like another child. So you can use the reinforcer in a million different ways. So, you know, these are the suggestions. You can kind of set up a token system, um, or you can also use them for good reasons, but I wouldn't be too worried about it, to be honest okay. with you. It does get to be a lot, and of course you can always, you know, parents do set time limits on things, um, but I mean, nowadays, you know, every child past the age of past fifth, sixth grade has an iPhone. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> so it's kind of like, well, this is where we're heading. We yeah. just need to embrace it, I think. I think that's great advice. Okay, we're going to take another break and we're going to be back with more of your questions after these messages. Stick with us. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampus-Schaefer. Ask Dr. Doreen. She is answering your questions in real time. Uh, I don't know whether it was last week or the week before, we had a, a parent write in about a fascination with strings and laces. Oh, yeah. Yes. And um, they have an update. Hi, Shannon and Dr. Doreen. Um, oh, where am I? I'm in the wrong one. Uh, we've got so many different things here. I've scrolled to the wrong place. Here we go. Wanted to give you an update on my son's obsession for laces and strings. He is six years old on the spectrum. We found something more appropriate for him to play with. He uses a necklace at home and out in the community. I spoke to his teacher about having such an item uh, near him, possible at his desk. His teacher agreed to have a lanyard mm. uh, on or near him, but he still runs to the shoe rack and plays with the laces on the sneakers, and we constantly redirect him to his necklace at home and school. Uh, how do we move forward from here? Do you suggest DRI and then in parentheses the intervals? You're over my head with the jargon. Uh, and thank you so much. <coughs> you are doing DRI. DRI is differential reinforcement of incompatible behavior. You're more or less doing that. You've replaced it with something else. So if he's playing with the lanyard, he's probably not at the same time going to be playing with the shoelace. One thing I do recommend, though, is to just block his access to the shoes. Like, instead of waiting for him to go every time to the shoes and then you redirect him, block access. So, in other words, put something in front of the shoes so that there's much more effort involved in terms of getting to the shoes. Because so, we want him to kind of try to start forgetting the shoes. Um, you know, I this is just going to be an obsession for a while, and it's a tough one. Um, as I said, there are a lot of things in the world that are um, similar to a string or something mm -hmm. like that. And the real question now becomes, if he holds the necklace or the lanyard, is he able to do other things? Or is it um, extremely, I guess, does it take, is, is it obsessive mm -hmm. in nature? So if he holds the lanyard or if he holds the necklace in his hand, um, is he able to pay attention? Is he able to answer questions, give eye contact, have co social communication, write, read, whatever it is? If the answer to that is yes, good, then we're good to go and you could just leave it alone. If the answer to that is no, you want to start to try to practice those things. In other words, you can have the lanyard, but you still need to answer these five questions. Um, and if you don't, we're going to take the lanyard away. So you got you have to now start to see if he can actually, uh, in his mind, make the, the necklace or the lanyard become 
the secondary thing. So it doesn't cause him to be obsessing about it, but it's more just a safety thing and he's holding on to it and he's able to move on and do other things. That's your next step. Um, you know, and hopefully you get to a point where it takes on secondary importance. Um, if it doesn't, if it becomes so pervasive in his mind and so obsessive in nature, we're just going to have to take it away and take everything away, which would be very difficult. So okay. keep us updated on that. Yeah. Let us know if you can actually start with very basic activities and try to get him to respond to you. Um, while holding the lanyard, interact, do some of his lessons, do maybe some interaction, some writing, some reading, that sort of thing. Okay, great. Oh, and then like another step would be you could, he, if he starts to succeed at that, then you can also like, for instance, have him put the lanyard or necklace in his pocket. So he still has it, but he's not necessarily visibly holding on to it. Okay, great. Uh, you mentioned comprehension earlier. So somebody wrote in and said, hello, my eight-year-old son struggles with language comprehension and just an overall understanding of language in general. What can we do to help him? Thank you. Well, that's an you know, awesome question. And it is pretty much the key to everything. Yeah. So for that family, for, I really do recommend that you get on skills because that's what skills is all about. And uh, a lot of times I find that my kids try, start to get aggressive or upset or unhappy, be, act out, do all sorts of stuff. And it's only really because they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand what people are asking them, what they're directing them to do. There's too much going on. Uh, they can't read social cues. They don't understand language. Um, so, you know, skills take you, takes you very, um, uh, I guess at an appropriate pace through all the different areas of comprehension that your child needs. It, it, there's more than just one area. I mean, it starts with just basic labels and objects and language and, you know, just very, very basic things all the way up to um, part of comprehension also involves understanding, um, I guess, you know, irony or um, intentions. Like if I say something and I my intention is something else, Typically, a child already past the age of six or seven can read that, can understand that, and our kids often can't. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of body and facial expression and body posturing and stuff that goes into language. Um, in addition to basic things like vocabulary and advanced use of you know grammatical structure and all that sort of stuff. So. There's a lot of things that you can do. You just have to go back and start from a point that makes sense. And again, see for a child like this, who sounds like it's a high level child, um, you can't start from the very beginning. They'll be bored to death, yeah. which is why the assessment will help you because you'll start exactly where it's hard for your child. Yeah. There's Just even skills. That's what skills is for. And there, there's even lessons in the academic curriculum that help the child to differentiate different vowel sounds that they might be confusing. It's very comprehensive. It's very impressive. Uh, very helpful. Um, okay. Uh, another person would like to know, how can I get my child off meds for ADHD that are not working? Today I received a call from the principal that my child is playing in the bathroom and lunchroom. Um, my son says bully is taking his lunch and don't know if what he's saying is a lie. He's very loud and anxious, hungry, overweight, don't know how to help my child. They go on to write that their ulcer is bothering them because they're anxious over what's wrong with the child, uh, that the child's going through puberty. Uh, and they, they are in Connecticut and they say that trying to work with the school has always been a nightmare. 
a lot going uh, on there. Yeah, very, very, a lot going on there. Um, I don't think I can give you any specific advice because I really think you're at a point where you need a little bit of help. I mean, first of all, I'm concerned if the parent has, has an ulcer already, mm -hmm. so you really need some help. I'm trying to figure out, Connecticut is actually a bad state in terms of insurance coverage. It's one of those states where we really don't want to get involved. Because there's pretty, parents don't have hardly any coverage. Wow. The mandate's written in a bad way. Um, but I do think you have some resources in terms of, I know that we've been in a variety of schools. We've been in there to train aides and to get aides for our kids. Um, you know, you need an aide um, in the classroom or in the school with your child to, I, because we have to find out if he's being bullied, first of all. Right. And it sounds like you also need an aide because your child has become very, like his prime, his most important reinforcer has become food. And, you know, if, I don't know the age or size of your child, but this is getting to be a little bit too much for a parent to handle. It's a different thing than, than you know, telling a parent how to teach a two-year-old. This is a little bit more complicated. Um, I guess what I would recommend is start with the IEP process, see if, I know it's very hard with schools, believe me, I'm not, I've been uh, dealing with school districts for most of my career, so I know it's very hard. Um, but I also know that our, some of our, like our Rochester office, we've trained a lot of um, school districts in the, that area, in the Monroe County area. I know that our, our Larchmont office in New York does actually send supervisors up to Connecticut. You're welcome to call them and see if they can help you. Um, but my f primary recommendation would be to really try to um, get help from the school district because the Free and Appropriate Education Act says that you know you are supposed to get an appropriate education and it is the, really the responsibility of the school district to provide you with an aid if your child needs an aid and if your child's being bullied they need an aid yeah. you know so I would really start with calling an IEP it's tough it's really difficult I hate to leave parents with just that advice because I know that there there's a million steps after that yeah and I, you know I, I, there's also uh, there are laws in place so when bullying is not allowed on any school but if your child has a recognized disability there's a different <clears throat> level of it that it's called handicap harassment disability harassment the school has to pay extra attention to it and even if you're not sure that it's happening uh, as you said you, that's got to be first we have yeah. to we have to solve that and if the child perceives it that way I don't know that it necessarily I, of course it matters if it's actually happened versus the child perceiving it but it's still important if it's not happening and the child just perceives it that way yeah. wouldn't you Say. Yeah, it's absolutely very important. The problem I find, Shannon, is that in California, the, the parents in California have been so active and involved that they've taught school districts to take them seriously. Yeah. So not only school districts, but every all public agencies have learned to really pay attention to when a family here would go and say, hey, my child is being bullied. They really react to that. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's the same in Connecticut because you're talking about... Uh, you know, you might have a school administrator or teacher who really doesn't think that parents are all that powerful. 
and they might ignore it, not understanding that this is a huge issue in the law and you can't be bullying kids. There know? are actual government offices that you can call and have they, they will come in and investigate. Well, and, that's uh, really good. Yes. That might be something uh, helpful. And so we'll make sure that we, we get that link up for you. It's, uh, it's like uh, it's uh, the government.edu.gov. I'll, I'll get the link for you because I can't remember it off the top of my head. But there is a government office that is in place just, just to be able purpose. to investigate those kinds of things. I think that's fabulous. So um, something to think about. Uh, here is a very interesting question that could you could t take a week on or just a simple answer. But somebody wants to know, is ABA effective for treating autism? Well, Love it. Yeah, that's a nice question. <laughs> uh, I guess... In, yeah, <laughs> that's a really. It could be a long one or a short one. <laughs> well, obviously, yeah, it's it's very effective. It is the most effective intervention, and that's why uh, the government pays for it. Is that's the only reason that we have now funding in all different areas. So we have not only do we does the Department of Education support it and pays for it through school districts. The, a lot of school districts are now being trained to provide ABA. Uh, the Department of Developmental Services funds it through, uh, in the California, it's called regional centers. In other states, we have a lot of other types of DDS funding. Um, it is Medicare funded, uh, and now it is private insurance funded. So um, it is the number one accepted treatment for autism, and it is very effective. Um, it's not a miracle overnight cure. It's not like you can start ABA and, you know, uh, a week later you're done. It's not like that. It's uh, very, very hard work, a long time, intensive, and um, it will be hugely effective for any individual, no matter what age. Um, but it can only really bring about recovery if you do what's called EIBI, which is early intensive behavioral intervention which means you know if, you, if a child starts intervention at seven or eight it might be already too late to fully recover might um, but if you chart if your child starts intervention at two or three and does really intensive work so we're talking 25 35 40 hours a week of one-to-one -one ABA then they have a pretty good chance of recovery okay I've uh, been meaning to get to this question for a while hi Shannon and dr. Doreen my son seems to be very clingy to me and I'm not sure if there's anything I can do to help his fear or anxiety that he has he is four and always has to have me in the room or know where I am he needs me to sleep with him and have a hand or a foot touch me to know that I'm still there. Only I can console him and always wants me to play with him only. I try to just enjoy it because I know one day it will end, but I feel like it, uh, it may be anxiety and I don't want him to feel this. Any ideas on how to wean him off or maybe Shannon experienced this as well and has some suggestions. Thank you for all you do. Love, love this show. Two loves. You we love you nice. too. Thank you. There's a lot of things you can do. Um, first thing is you have to make up your mind that you want to wean him off. Because this is a hard one. It's very, very reinforcing for you. And it's a <laughs> period. Well, and that's true, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's the most reinforcing yeah. thing for us for when our kids are that attached to us. Uh, the truth is, though, that you need to wean him off. You do need to wean him off. I mean, four is still pretty young, but if he's getting that needy, you do need to wean him off because you're... What, in essence, it, it, your presence is going to close him off to interacting with the rest of the world. 
And so I would start with, you know, and when you say needs, we all need, uh, you know, who, who wouldn't want to be, we have needs that are just not socially possible. So um, every child would love to just stay at home and not go to school and hang out with mom, mm -hmm. you know. So what you need to do is just establish, uh, you, you wrote a lot of different scenarios where he needs to be with you or he wants to be with you. My real question is to you, what happens if he's not? What happens if you, um, I don't know, walk a, ha, place a small distance between yourself and him? I would start with probably the most um, drastic ones right now, which are, I think, like, I don't know, what, physical contact ones. Yes. I mean, it's one thing to, to be in the presence of your child. It's another thing that he, need, he can only sleep with you, I think, is one of the things you right. said. Has to have a hand or a foot touching. Right, right. So what I would do is I would just start there, and you, it's a very, very, very gradual um, fade out. Um, so, you know, you can give him an object like a stuffed animal or something, put your perfume on it, um, try to have that gradually replace you. Um, you know, right now if it's he has to have a hand and a foot on you, then reduce it to one. Um, if it's uh, just one hand or foot, now you want to reduce it to fingers touching and gradually uh, you know, put more and more distance between that. Um, but replace yourself with something. It is anxiety. Um, every child goes through this. This is why every child that, you know, most children will have a hard time adjusting to just sleeping on their own. So right now I'm not even saying have him sleep on his own. I'm saying just gradually start to distance yourself physically. Um, you may later want to ha have a little bed for him next to you and then gradually distance yourself um, from the bed. Um, if you're sleeping in his room, I assume. Now, the other things are like, uh, I don't know, what was it other than sleeping with mom? It was he uh, Being in the same room. Right. I wants her to play with him right. only. So being in, in the same room is a very easy one. You can also start with that one where basically you can, uh, he's playing and you can stand by the door. And then the next day you're standing one step outside the door. And then two days later you're st standing three, three steps outside the door. And you just do it at a pace that's comfortable for him. At the same time, you do need to replace yourself. So you'd want to have other kids in there or other people so that he's not alone. So he's able to interact. Or you want to have activities or toys that are distracting him. Perhaps the Wii, perhaps something like TV or something yeah. that's going, he's going to prefer. Absolutely. Did you go through something like that with You know, Jam, we, still, we still cycle through times when he gets clingy, and I was just thinking about it, that he used to do something that he would climb us like we were a tree. He mm -hmm. wanted to get on our heads, yeah. both my husband and I. And I would always notice that it was when he had a lot of yeast that was active. Mm -hmm. He would just be incredibly, it was like he wanted to crawl inside you, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but he would sit on your head. Mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> and we recently have gone through a phase where, because he's in fifth grade now, yeah. and he still, there are times when he wants to sit on our laps and he's almost as tall as me because he's a very tall boy and I had to say to him you know not in public anymore we had to draw lines and the other day we were in a restaurant and he was having a moment and I know it was anxiety I mm -hmm. saw it on him 
and he he we we kept separating it. He had to ask us before he could give anybody a hug, and then he had to ask us before he get on our lap. So he said to my husband in the restaurant, "Can I get on your lap?" And it was hard for my husband because he especially knows that any minute this will be over for him. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to get to be a little touchy feely because I'm mom, but it's going to be over for him. And he and I said, "No, you can't get on dad's lap." But we went over some of the things that we taught him in third grade to squeeze himself right. that he could hold himself right, right. and that he could talk to himself while he was holding himself and realize that we were right there and that nothing bad was happening. See, and that's, that's fabulous advice because really it's a matter of identifying the things that our kids can use to help them feel more secure in themselves. Yeah. And this is really just a good skill for anyone. Yeah. It's not just, you know, so to, to broadly answer the questions of this mom, and I would love to help more because it is, it is anxiety, no question, but it is not unique to our kids. And so you do need to treat your child just like any other child. And a, a child who gets too clingy, too attached, you're, you are enabling the child to close off to the rest of the world and also yeah. to do things that, as you said, Shannon, might not be age appropriate or yeah. might not really help the child with socialization exactly. but give them other things i mean you know uh, give them stuffed animals give them uh, other things that are more socially appropriate you know yeah. that that will make them feel like i said um maybe a keychain or something that has a family picture in it maybe an object that smells like you you know there's different yeah. things you can do there are kids that have worry rocks of course you want to make sure that it's not one that would be a, cho a choking hazard but there are rocks that just feel good to put your right. thumb on right and they can keep in their in their pocket and play with them sometimes there are all different kinds of fidget toys yeah, there are things yeah, yeah. Uh, we were talking about a couple of weeks ago that rosie o'donnell used to have those kush uh, kush things that were on mm -hmm. her desk when she was interviewing people she would get nervous and so she would play with them interesting so yeah, yeah you know and and again it, it's just the commitment you have to be committed to this because this is very hard, hard and you have to like step away from it gradually as a parent yeah but I I think uh, you know they'll still be affectionate it's not like giving up uh, them don't ever worry. hugging you no not at all in fact because it won't be a hundred percent of the time they will start to appreciate it a little bit more so they will the times that they are with you uh, will be very nicely, you know, they'll be very affectionate and the interaction which we, will be much more. But think of how happy you'll be that you can walk out and your child, how are you going to integrate into school if this is the level of attachment? Okay, great. We, uh, I think we've got time for one more question. Uh, some friends of ours, uh, fans of ours from Florida mm. have written in um, saying that their daughter still runs to other kids' arms, any kid and some adults. We try to prevent slash block but she's way too fast and when she does we say ask for a high five and she does but it's a constant struggle it requires to hold her hand while in front of a child what do we say when this happens or do uh or do it seems nothing works um thank you for everything uh, and they say they have no words to express oh that's awesome <clears throat> So, but my question is, have you actively worked on this? So, I mean, sometimes we think that because something happens in the present, you in know, the in, in the moment in the society, in normal life, we work on it. You're not really working on it. You're only working on it when it happens. So I would literally um, get another child or another person and set up this scenario 
and work on it actively. So in other words, if you bring another child who's sort of your confederate or, you know, mm -hmm. the, the child that works with you and you have your child and the child, your child's about to run to their arms and you block it and you reinforce your child, gradually you will reduce your blocking so that your child starts to understand that they cannot run to the other child if they want their reinforcer. So the reinforcer has to be very powerful and your child has to get the message. Sometimes I don't know if I'm getting too technical for parents, but it has to be that um, maybe you give the instruction wait or no hugging and if the child is able to stand in the presence of another child for 10 seconds, they'll get a powerful reinforcer, ne you know, and then you increase that with the child. So next set, you, you could do all this in one hour, you know, yeah. and you have the child, the other child, and then it's like, now that your child is not hugging the other child for one minute, then for five minutes, then for whatever it is, and gradually that behavior will extinguish. Yeah. If your child is doing that, they're either seeking out the uh, sensory contact or they're just affectionate and this is their way of saying hello and so you would want to make sure you replace that and teach your child other appropriate ways to say hello like giving high five is a great one yeah. or just things like you know hi how are you my name is I mean use teach them some so other appropriate social behavior to replace that thank you because I think I confuse sometimes I say we're working on something because I'm working on it in the moment right and I get frustrated because why aren't we seeing the progress when you guys say all the time on the show that giving the child opportunity and immediate feedback is what yeah. we know is most effective so if we pull the circumstance outside of itself outside take it of reality right right take a take a moment and and give in an, and say a half an hour an hour give them 20 opportunities exactly then you're going to get more done They'll get it right and i don't that's, think of that sometimes so thank right, you for making right. that distinction no sure and that's aba and yeah. that's the success yeah. of aba is repetitive practice and in, in a very sort of experimental environment where you can modify antecedents and consequences and then you gradually bring it into normal life and it generalizes. Yes. But if you just if you just dealing with it, then you're doing when it happens, that's more NET, you right. know, natural exactly. environment training. Natural environment training is not always effective with new skills, and especially with it when it, if it's a skill that involves an obsession or yeah. an urge or anxiety or something like that. You really, it's you know, the the anxiety associated or the urge to hug another child is more pervasive than holding back. Yeah. So you need to practice it in in sort of a very closed environment.